Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business news podcast from Business and Vancouver Newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Tyler Orton. We have a bit of a sustainability theme today because of head of the first Sustainability Leadership Congress next month in Vancouver, Intention founder Connie Linder. She's going to join us to talk about the challenges that are facing a lot of businesses as they try to become more sustainable. And we also have a story up on BIV.com right now that's delving into BC adopting electric vehicles as fast as we can buy them. Matthew Klippenstein from Electron Communications, he's going to join us for a little bit of that discussion later on. But before we get there, I just want to tell you about one event coming up May 29th at the Van City Theatre. That is Talking Ride Sharing. We're going to have somebody from Lyft, an executive, showing up and talking about what they want to see from the BC government later on. More info on that event can be found at BIV.com slash events. And let's go ahead and talk to Connie Linder. The first Sustainability Leadership Congress hits downtown Vancouver June 8th through 9th at the Fairmont Pacific Rim. With us today to discuss the challenges of helping consumers and businesses become more sustainable, it is Connie Linder. She's the founder of Intention. Connie, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. Okay, so we want to get into this Leadership Congress. It's the first time that we're going to have it here. And I I want to ask you first, though, when you guys are specializing in things and sustainability, what is it that you guys actually specialize in at and at Intention. So we have we have the foundation and then we also have Intention.com and they're synergistic. So the intention behind Intention.com is my work in sustainability led me to realize that there's a lot of solutions uh, for people out there to purchase more responsibly, but often there's a lack of awareness and a lack of knowing where to go and how and how to buy and who to buy from. So we started what was originally Green Pages Directory and we did a brand change this past year and we turned it into Intention. So it's a it's a search engine with Intention. And then we started the we we started the foundation so that we would have a vehicle to actually help um, with leadership. So help young people that are emerging leaders learn how to implement sustainability. Well, I'm curious because look, I think it is tough for consumers. I can go and see a whole lot of products that say green on it. And and I don't know if that's really true. Like how are you guys able to kind of determine that there is, I guess, some truth to what a lot of people are pushing out there? So what we've done with Intention.com is it's the filters that we allow the the directory listings to apply to their listings. So for in, for example, we have the world's largest database of accreditation organizations and their standards within all industries. So I'll give you an example of how someone might use it. You could be an architect doing a lead building and you would need FSE certified lumber. So on our site, you'd be able to do a, a pre-screening browse of organizations that have that standard. So we allow the metrics to be applied to the listings so that when people do a sort, they're not just finding a widget or they're not just finding an organization in apparel. They're finding uh, an organization that would align with their values. So they might have, they might be a B Corp. There's certain, certain criteria that different people will apply that they'll need for their industry and for their values. And we allow those metrics to be sorted and found. So do you view maybe the typical user on the search engine as a consumer or more of a B2B person who is looking for, I guess, solutions? We have 
built it to apply to both. Uh, the biggest um, business model for us is the B2B component, but it's also applicable for a consumer because with the circular economy, you have, you have consumers actually in a lot of cases driving change and businesses responding to that. So, so um, we have both on the site. Okay. Well, let's talk about kind of the education component. You mentioned that with the foundation. Of course, we have the Sustainability Leadership Congress coming up. Tell us what is the idea behind this uh, first ever Congress that's going to be taking place here in Vancouver? Right. Yeah. So in terms of having a great idea, and, and the millennials really do want to make change, but it's how do you implement that change? And so for for the emerging leaders and the young people that care. It's about putting them in touch and learning in touch with and learning from people who are on the leading edge in various industries of actually implementing change because it's very easy to have a dream about doing something different and doing it better. But when you actually come to the practicalities of implementation, it's not always that easy. So the the purpose behind the Congress is to bring these implementers with the various people that are hoping to align their careers that way so that they can learn from it and also have um, enhanced emotional intelligence, which I think we've seen the effects when you have people in leadership positions that don't have strong emotional intelligence. It's actually quite dangerous and chaotic. So we're hoping to allow these young people to not only learn the corporate skills from these corporate leaders, but also have... um, the opportunity to learn some personal development that would allow them to be, become better leaders. So let's say somebody's interested in this. Uh, what would be an example of maybe a corporate leader who they can expect to see and maybe what kind of information they would be getting out of this? Well, we actually are very blessed. We have a very um, impressive roster of people that have agreed to come and participate and are and seem to be very excited about it. Someone that uh, may be a known uh personality that people would recognize. Her name is Bea Johnson. She's the founder of the Zero Waste Movement. So she'll be part of the Zero Waste Panel. We have Andrea Knight, who's a senior policy uh, specialist for the federal government to talk about government procurement along with PricewaterhouseCoopers. We have um, Peter, the CEO from from spud.ca. We've got uh, Lesra Martin, actually, who's a good friend of mine. He's going to be emceeing day two. And he, I don't know if you know The Hurricane, but his real life story is what um, triggered the movie The Hurricane. So he's, he's, uh, he was in jail, uh, correct? Is that so the same movie the, I'm thinking of? Yeah, it, it's the movie about the boxer that was put in jail. Yeah. And there was a young boy who actually helped get him out of jail. And that's Lesra Martin, who's now a man and he's a lawyer and he's the MC of day two. We wanted him to be the MC for the personal development day because he's actually a rather inspirational story himself. And um, we also have HeartMath. Who are going to be there on day two? HeartMath. Have you heard of HeartMath? No. HeartMath is a very interesting organization. They actually do a lot of studies of consciousness and the magnetic fields and resonance between your heart and your and your mind. And um, th- so it's it's a science organization that actually studies the heart. And um, what, what kind of, I'm just curious, what kind of information can I gain uh, from something like that? Because it, it sounds interesting. It's fascinating. Uh, so the things that people learn, and they actually do a lot of consulting to police and different organizations where people have high stress situations where they need to be able to be effective. And one of the things that you would learn from that is, is that when you're in a certain state, which is called a coherent state, um, you're actually 
able to have a different level of influence and access, different capacities for thinking than you would otherwise. So it means you would have enhanced performance. There's enhanced synchronicity. They've done studies, for instance, between um, people and their pets, and they notice that when when you have your the when you make a decision that you're going to be coming home the dog will know and they'll actually do they've done studies where they they start to um, look at the heart rates of the dog and the owner and they actually start to synchronize so the implications of this is to understand that we're connected in a deeper and different way than we what is often recognized in terms of our daily life. You're, you're giving me flashbacks to childhood when I recall my family pet would run to the front of the door about 20 minutes before my mom would arrive home like clockwork. And I don't know how he uh, figured it out. It's not like he could hear her car van, you know, from 20 miles away. So yeah, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing. It's very interesting. They, they're actually doing studies right now about trees as well. So when when we go for a walk in the forest and we just feel good, there's actual scientific evidence of why that can be true because it actually affects our magnetic field. And so what we want to do is we want to expose the emerging leaders to not just not just tools that enhance their intellectual capabilities, although that is important, but also their emotional awareness and their ability to handle stress and their ability to be able to make good decisions. And my work as an entrepreneur a lot of it has been intellectual, but the most difficult parts of it is the relationships and knowing how to handle uncertainties when you're doing things that people haven't done before. You're often on the, you're, you're always in that state of uncertainty. So how do you manage that in a way that allows you to think clearly and to be a nice person and to be, to be calm? That's why people often talk about meditating. Meditating gets you in a different brain state, and it actually helps with your coherence for your resonance, and that's the kind of thing that heart math will talk about. Well, one of the other things that you mentioned a, a moment ago, though, was uh, PwC, and you guys, I understand, have a bit of a partnership going on with them with regards to these self-assessment tools. Can you tell us a little bit about what this means? Thanks for asking that, actually. Yeah, we're very excited to partner with PricewaterhouseCoopers. It's actually quite rare for Pricewaterhouse to partner with an emerging company such as ours. The significance of this is um, we're working. We're, we have a think tank going right now with some with some um, prestigious companies and various levels of government to research how they could use our tools, so Intention.com, to help them with their purchasing. And the role that Price Waterhouse plays is about validation and assurance. Because as you mentioned before, um, it's an issue sometimes with people making claims and and onlookers, businesses, and consumers to know if if those claims are true. And the work that we're doing with Price Waterhouse is to set up programs so that people would be able to to um, have an extra level of assurance that if there's a little symbol that we have yet to identify with their listing, that it would have already been validated by Pricewaterhouse. See, I like that because it, it makes sustainability more of a less amorphous sort of concept. And I, one of the questions that maybe I should have thrown to you right at the beginning, though, is how do you define sustainability? And is there kind of a across the board definition that most people in industry use? Or is it still a little bit fractured right now? Well, most people, I think, when they think about uh, sustainability, they would think about enhanced levels of social and environmental commitments um, within an industry. Uh, I, I think it's 
I think it's pragmatic implementation of good business decisions that are based in personal responsibility and um, taking care of people and the planet. Um, and it, it starts with the intention. That's why I was very excited when I was able to rebrand and actually solidify all the domains and get the trademark for Intention because it really speaks to what we're doing is that if you want to make things better, if you want to improve things for people and, and the environment, you actually have to start with an intention to do so. And research shows that when you have, when you have um, top-down leaders who are committed to sustainability, then it happens. If you have middle management who maybe want to implement sustainability, but you have leadership at the board level or uh, at the CEO level who don't buy into it, it's very difficult because you don't have budget, you know, they don't allocate budget or resources. So, so setting an intention, which is, I really want to look at doing something in a way that is more compassionate, that is less wasteful, uses our resources wisely. Um, I would, that's how I would look at sustainability. You know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, this wasn't the top of mind of most businesses. Why is it becoming more important to most businesses nowadays? Unfortunately, when things start to be more painful for people, they start to pay attention. Sometimes we need to suffer and it needs to seem more real and tangible before we make a change. People who are very, were very conscious, we're talking about these changes 50 years ago, um, um, any time is good to start. So even though now it's becoming more of a trend, which is very positive, I think it's because we're starting to see the effects of the decisions that weren't very conscious uh, that it's having on our on our earth. Um, look at the weather pattern changes. Look at the fact that we're using two times more resources each year than what the earth can sustain. These types of behaviors aren't sustainable. And so so the movement of the circular economy is looking at the resources we have and looking at how can we make those last? So how can we put them back into the supply chain? How are we able to capture them at their disposal and turn them into a product that can be reused and do it in a way where you're using energy that comes from a renewable energy source? Connie, if anybody wants to find out more information about the sustainability leadership Congress, where can they go? So they can go to intention.com slash foundation. Um, they could also um, contact the company. Uh, they could go to our intention.com site and look up um, the contact details and um, send us a note and get in touch. Connie, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you very much. That is Connie Linder, founder of Intention. And stay with us. Matthew Klippenstein from Electron Communications joins us next to talk all about electric vehicles. Joining us today is Matthew Klippenstein. He is a consultant at Electron Communications. Matthew, always great to have you back on the show. Thanks for joining us. Today. Hey, thanks for having me, Tyler. So we have a story that was out in business in Vancouver last week from colleague Nelson Bennett, and he was documenting how 1,200 electric vehicles were sold in the span of two weeks at the very start of May. A lot of this maybe has to do with some incentives that are going on here, but I, I want to pick your brain a little bit. How much is the renewed energy, no pun intended, for buying these electric vehicles has to do with, say, incentives being offered by various levels of government versus, I don't know, other things like high gas prices that we're witnessing right now in the province? Yeah, so I wouldn't say it's an either-or situation. Certainly, the availability of incentives and 
The federal incentives were $300 million um, expected or hoped to last about three years. That's maybe 6,000, sorry, 60,000 uh, incentives for, for vehicles. Um, the fact that they won't last forever might make some people want to buy now, as it were. Uh, it also makes the sticker price a little bit more attainable for many people. Again, uh, the average price for the uh, for electric vehicles is is probably still in the in the forty thousands, uh, no doubt, uh, still somewhat higher. But with the five up to five thousand dollar federal incentive, up to five thousand dollar provincial incentive, and perhaps a few scrap it cash for clunkers incentives through the scrap it BC program, there is definitely uh, a more attainable uh, price there to be had. So I'm sure that that has spurred sales in May, especially since people who were thinking of buying in April would have definitely postponed uh, to make sure they could take advantage. Uh, high gas prices, I do think, um, will in the longer term cause more people to jump to electric vehicles. It, it makes sense. Uh, you can, as the BC Hydro study recently uh, published, uh, pointed out, you can save um, thousand, thousand or more dollars a, a year, certainly, on fuel. The uh, My thinking would be that People don't generally, you know, suddenly decide to buy a new car. I would think that today's gas prices might reflect uh, themselves in more electric vehicle sales in the next year or two, perhaps. Uh, because, again, uh, when we think about buying vehicles, it's not usually a totally spur-of-the-moment thing. People will do a bit of homework, talk to friends who have electric vehicles. Is it easy to set up, uh, you know, stations in my garage or my shared condo garage, that kind of thing. So, um a bit of both, I guess. And let's say you're in the market for a Tesla right now. Uh, you're probably going to have to wait a few years. So I don't know if that's going to solve whatever problems are at the gas pumps this summer. Uh, so, no, I think that uh, with Teslas, uh, there will be, uh, I'm sure, many of those 1,300, 1,200 sales in the early part of May uh, were Teslas. Uh, I'm sure that uh, the company uh, is welcomes any extra demand coming out of Canada. So, um the most popular version of the Tesla Model 3, the, the, the um, more affordable slash less unaffordable vehicle, the premium vehicle, uh, had a sticker price as of the weekend, I think, at $53,700. And um, with the federal and provincial incentives now applying, that brings it down to 43700 you know, perhaps some taxes and stuff. But uh, that is more attainable now that um, you will be able to save that considerable money on gasoline. So when we think about the incentives that are available both on a provincial and federal level, though, how is BC stacking up, though, versus other jurisdictions across North America as maybe a place where there are more incentives for people to get into this market? So um, I guess just really quickly first, so uh, to the best of the province's knowledge, uh, BC is about third in uh, percentage of new cars being electric vehicles behind California and Washington State. Uh, 2018, we were just above 4%, just behind Washington State. California was about 7%, so the home turf for, for Tesla, naturally. Uh, and so um, in the first quarter, it was about 6.9%. And this, again, is before the federal incentives came in. So um, we have had uh, excellent uh, rate of adoption in BC. No doubt high gas prices are helping somewhat, have been helping over years. Um, in terms of incentives that are available, now in the U.S. there is a federal incentive or a, a tax income tax credit of $7,500 if you can qualify for that with other states layering additional incentives. So um, you know, $7,500 U.S. is the equivalent of $10,000 Canadian. Um, some states have $2,000, perhaps $5,000 incentives above that. 
even with the federal incentive in BC, our incentives aren't as high as those in the states. But you know, perhaps given the demographics and the the, the sort of green uh, tendencies in BC, that that helps us with the adoption. It definitely seems to be a very much of a, a West Coast trend as you lay out what's available here in those various jurisdictions. Uh, you said something earlier on that I, I want to go back to, though. You know, maybe these incentives aren't going to last forever, though. Tell me a little bit about maybe your idea about the market being able to survive and thrive moving forward without the need uh, for any of these incentives to kind of boost interest for electric vehicles. Yeah, so I I am very optimistic about long-term ability for electric vehicles to eventually supplant combustion vehicles. It'll take a long time. You need to have product in every category, you know, every trim, every feature to match, and that will take a bunch of time. Uh, several generations of cars of vehicles. Um, now, the the uh, thing to remember in the background is that while lithium ion battery prices have fallen dramatically in the past eight years, thanks in large part to China's industrial policy of uh, specializing in batteries, uh, they still have a fair ways to fall. They are their prices are still falling at. Uh, quite a decent clip, maybe 18% a year, I think Bloomberg New Energy Finance estimates. So when the incentives expire in a few years, the expectation would be that a lot of the battery costs will decrease as well. And so this isn't a case of supporting something and then everything crashes to nothing after the incentives go away, but rather it's sort of bringing tomorrow's battery prices today to get more of these vehicles on the road to sort of start to carve out the emissions uh, today as opposed to in several years' time. Do you have an idea right now about maybe what are some of the more popular electric vehicles that are in British Columbia or maybe Canada overall? Yes. So um, no doubt the uh, Tesla Model 3 will be leading the sales, uh, certainly as an aspirational car. The fact that there are now incentives at the federal and provincial level will make it more accessible. Uh, there's no doubt uh, that that will be the, the best-selling uh, vehicle in BC and Canada to, to date in the year. Um, other very strong vehicles, the Hyundai Kona uh, electric vehicle uh, has come in and uh, it looks it's a very gorgeous vehicle. It's in the right spot. It's kind of a crossover compact uh, vehicle. It's the sweet spot of the market right now. Um, that and the Mitsubishi Outlander plug-in hybrid uh, are probably the three top vehicles. The Nissan Leaf is still going strong. Um, the Mitsubishi Outlander plug-in hybrid, uh, so that has about 35 kilometers of within city range, but it has a full combustion system if you're the type who needs to go on road trips and you're not fully sure or fully confident in the charging infrastructure. We, we were discussing this in an editorial meeting last week, and we were thinking about how you know Vancouver seems to be kind of a, the right place for adoption to take place. We're a uh, you know, dense population, uh, easy to recharge. Uh, a lot of reliance on, say, uh, smaller vehicles. What do you think the market is going to be like moving forward for maybe more rural areas, colder climates uh, that are very quite common in Canada? Yes. So once you get out of, outside of the cities, Canada is really a pickup country. And so the cost of batteries, because pickups are larger vehicles, they're not super streamlined. You would need considerably larger batteries for those vehicles um, in order to get the same range, especially if you're thinking of towing you know, a boat to the nearby lake. So the thinking in the industry is that the larger vehicles will first start off as plug-in hybrids, because then you can add that, ga that gas money saving feature for city driving for everyday use, but you can still have your 
hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of kilometers of, even when you're towing, driving capacity for those longer uh, trips that you take on occasion. So the thinking is that while smaller vehicles might shift to battery electric or perhaps fuel cells in the nearer term, larger vehicles will spend some time in plug-in hybrid zone, if you will, uh, because the price points won't be as onerous the batteries might have to be two or three times as large as you see in today's sedans uh, for those to have the, the necessary features. So where is the industry coming along with regards to the development of uh, pickup trucks? Because I know a lot of people are maybe uh, on tenter hooks waiting for it to really explode at this point. Yes. So um, there was, a, there was an interesting, uh, not a bidding war quite, but uh, they're a very promising startup out of Detroit called Rivian, which has um, released designs. They were in stealth mode for nine years. But they uh, they released their intentions to release a plug-in, so, sorry, a fully battery electric pickup truck with, uh, and again, here we get to the battery size, battery size of 100 kilowatt hours up to 180 kilowatt hours. And the point of context is that most of today's vehicles, the Chevy Bolt, the, the Nissan Leaf Plus are 60 kilowatt hours. So you really get a sense for how much more in batteries you need for these pickups. Now, Rivian is interesting because it, had initially tried to work a deal, a, an investment from GM that uh, didn't turn out. So it signed a deal with Ford. And now one of Ford's automotive manufacturing uh, specialists, uh, executives is on Rivian's board. So that uh, signals, at least to the EV watching community, that Rivian will probably be able to scale up its production a lot more smoothly than Tesla's had, where no one on Tesla's board has automotive experience, really. Mm. And so uh, there's perhaps a lesson learned in that case. Very interesting. Uh, one of the other things before we wrap up here that we should mention is that we have had the F-Cell and HFC 2019 Impulse Summit going on in Vancouver this past week. And I'm just wondering what this sort of indicates about BC emerging as one of the leaders, or at least uh, one of the big leaders in adoption for these sorts of vehicles. Yes. So uh, BC will definitely be a, a center in North America for uh, fuel cell technology adoption. Uh, California has a whole spate of uh, uh, fuel cell hydrogen stations, more than 40, I believe, with plans to get to more than 100 quite soon. Uh, BC has opened its first uh, hydrogen fueling station at the Shell Station near the airport, Granville 70th in Vancouver, with about uh, five, I think, planned for the lower mainland and one in the uh, Victoria area, that's the central capital, capital region district. So the infrastructure is there. The expectation is that uh, some of the vehicles will be coming here. Uh, fuel cell vehicles might be quite suitable for um, individuals in condos or uh, or other multi-unit buildings where it's the parking is is uh, is a bit more difficult to achieve charging rather in your parking stall. That's part of what I do with uh, Plugin BC, help people with that. And um, also, especially for taxis or other vehicles, which are three shift and for whom there would be a opportunity cost for slower charging. Even at the faster charging speeds, today's electric cars don't have the ability to fuel up in a few minutes. And if you're driving a cab or you have various vehicles, say for the film industry, it's not, uh, not necessarily the, the optimal choice yet. I am curious uh, because in, uh, my colleague, Nelson Ben and I, we were actually discussing the infrastructure needed to get, say, fuel cells going. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned we do have that one on 70th and Granville, mm -hmm. and we are awaiting some more. But for widespread adoption to take place, I don't know, for a city like Vancouver, how many you know stations do you think we would need? 
I think that depends a lot on the amount of usage. The expectation in the industry is that light duty vehicles, passenger cars, will be largely battery electric or battery driven as opposed to fuel cell driven. But uh, there is a lot of expectation as well that medium duty vehicles, commercial trucks, say like your 7-Eleven trucks, which bring the groceries to the different stores, um, that those will uh, will quite likely go the fuel cell route as well as larger trucks. And the reason for this is that the uh, the cost to put in um, re recharging infrastructure at different city lots um, again might be there might be more of an opportunity cost in terms of not being able to use those vehicles all day for your for your large stores. The amount of infrastructure that's needed, I think, would would depend on the number of vehicles. But um, I think that the, the the half a dozen or so stations that we are getting set up for. Uh, will be enough to bring in the first pool, and then we'll we'll have to see uh, how the market develops after that. Well, excellent. Matthew, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you very much. That's Matthew Klippenstein, consultant at Electron Communications. And that is it for today. We'll be back tomorrow. For now, you can find our archives on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Share with your friends. It's going to help more people find the show. For now, I'm Tyler Orton. Thanks for listening. <laughs>